If you brought a Bible today, would you please take it out and open it up to Hebrews chapter 2. If you did not bring a Bible today, please grab one from under a seat there in front of you. Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you as our gift. Again, we are here today to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Something, again, the magnitude of which we will probably never be able to fully comprehend. My prayer today is that as we look in God's word and we give the Holy Spirit freedom to speak to each one of us, that some of these truths, some of these things that we can know from God's word would be settled a little bit deeper in our hearts. So if you would, we're going to begin Hebrews chapter 2 and follow along with me as we read, beginning in verse 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your, your hand. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not in subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Verse 9, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. Both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, he might render powerless him who had power of death, that is the devil. And he might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I think it's important that as we look again at the magnificence in all that is ours in what we celebrate today, it's important that we go back all the way to the beginning to understand why this was even necessary. Why, why is it exactly that we're, that we're here? And the author of Hebrews does that for us at the beginning of the, the beginning verses that we looked at. It does say that someone somewhere recorded this. Well, we know who that someone is. It was David, and we know somewhere where that is. It's Psalm 8. And, and David, no doubt, as he is penning this because of the verse preceding the verses that we just looked at, 
He's speaking of the glory and the magnitude of the heavens. And no doubt one evening as he is out taking care of the sheep and he is just looking up at the star-filled sky and just blown away by the magnitude and the glory of God's creation, he's overwhelmed with this idea that, God, you created all of this. Who am I? Who am I that you would, that you would take notice of me? Who am I that you would be concerned about me? Who, who are we that God would care about us? And take notice of us. And notice he says, he goes on to say, and that we were made for a little while lower than the angels. Created beings, created by God Almighty. The Bible tells us that we were created in his image. And here we see that for a little while, we as those created in his image are placed a little bit lower than the angels. And when we, when we look at this, isn't it amazing that no matter what anybody's efforts are to ever take something that, that God has done and try to push God away and try to come up with their own idea of things, how, how, how really ridiculous it is. I mean, look at what God tells us he did. He created us in his image, placed us a little bit lower than the angels. The best that man can come up with is that we were evolved from the image of mud into something that's just slightly higher than monkeys. That's, God, that's man's best effort to say how this all happened. God tells us the glorious truth in his word. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but then he made this beautiful, perfect creation. And he gave it to man. And he says, you enjoy this. You rule over this. However, there's a word that's in our text that changes everything. You know that, and we talk about that often whenever we see a word like this. It's in the middle of verse 8, but. But. Now we do not yet see all things subject to him. It's not all subject to us. We don't see that today. The perfect plan that God laid out, we don't see that. What happened? Sin. Sin. It was all given perfectly. And the only thing that God did that would allow that to take place is to give man a choice. He gave man a choice. You can follow me and, and, and have everything that I promised to give you, or you can make your own choice and go a different direction. And man chose to listen to the lie of the enemy. Man chose to listen to the enemy who, again, same, same tricks, same tactics he uses today. I'm paraphrasing, but as he, he comes to Eve, he says, God's holding out on you. God doesn't really love you. If he loved you, he'd let you do whatever you wanted to do. He wouldn't put any restrictions anywhere. He'd let you do whatever you wanted to do. As a matter of fact, you can be just like him. You can be your own God if you want to. You can do all of the things that you want to do. Did God really say? And if he said that, did he really mean it? And Eve took the bait, followed by Adam. And guys, before we all start pointing to say, Adam and Eve, it's all their fault. I am so glad it says Adam and Eve and not Brett and Christina in Genesis. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is the Bible is very clear and none of us can say anything different. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone willfully sinned, turned, again, turned away from God. 
bought the lie of the enemy that we can be our own gods. We can do the, we can do our own thing. We don't have to listen to him. He's holding out on us. He, whatever, whatever, and all this. We've all bought into that. You guys, we have to understand something. God is perfect and holy and righteous and just. He is absolutely, totally, completely pure. And because of that, he cannot tolerate sin. He can't be around sin. It is, it is absolutely abhorrent to him. The reason it's not as much to us is because, guys, we've just quite frankly, we've gotten used to the smell. I grew up in, in Colorado and, you know, mile high air, you know, all of that stuff and, and fresh air, mountains, all of that stuff. And then I went to college in Iowa and my, one of my roommates grew up on a pig farm in Iowa and I went home with him over an extended break. And as soon as I pulled in the driveway, I was like, it's, it, it penetrates everything. The smell, and I, was, I, I asked him right away, dude, how do, you, how do you live here? He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it, it penetrated everything. I mean, I, re- I still remember the first shower I took, the water coming out smelled like that. I mean, it was just like everything. But I'll tell you what, by the end of the week, I had gotten used to it. It, 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 it had nowhere near the effect it did when I first drove in. And guys, that's the problem with us living in this. We just get used to the smell. But God, being holy and pure, can, cannot. And the Bible is also clear that the, the, that the wages of sin is death. The debt that is owed because of our sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual, eternal death. That is the debt that is owed. God can't turn his back on that. He can't just say, you know what, I'll just pretend that didn't happen. You've done, you've done some other good things, so we'll just push that away. If he did that, we wouldn't call it, he couldn't be just in doing that. We wouldn't, if a serial murderer was convicted, un, every evidence to show that he did it, even consider, yeah, I did it, okay. And the judge says, well, you know what? You've done some good things in your life, so we'll let you go. We would say he's unjust. And God being perfectly just, he can't just turn away from sin. And that, that, that is, that's, that's the, the unfortunate truth. That's the, the, what, what we have to come to grips with. When I was, this goes back probably about 10 years ago or so, when the church was still meeting over at the school, we used to have the newcomers dinners at our house. And I remember one particular time, it was afterwards, if you've ever come to a newcomer's dinner, you know, we have chicken and, and, and potato salad and, and a bunch of stuff like that. And it was late in the, in the spring, probably around June. It was already getting really warm. And I remember the, the big bag of garbage that was left over at the end, you know, some leftover potato salad and chicken and everything like that, all in this plastic bag. And so I go over to, the, to throw it in the garbage can and it was dark outside over there. And when I threw it from a few feet away, I thought it went in the garbage can. But I missed. It went over the top. And behind there, there was some broken roof tiles and stuff like that from the windstorm recently. So the bag landed on that and split open. A couple of weeks later, I was wondering what in my neighbor's yard smelled so bad. So I went over to investigate. I thought some animal died over there or something. And I get, the closer I got, and then I realized what it was. And I moved our garbage can and the smell, I mean, I, to this day, I could be a little gag reflex. A couple of times I had to walk away because I was literally about to just 
throw up. It was so bad. And then there were maggots everywhere. I mean, it was just about the most disgusting thing you could have imagined. Now, we could probably all come up with some, some real, real, real good ways to dispose of that, right? I mean, including dousing it and torching it, right? I mean, just get rid of it. But one thing that would be inconceivable to every single one of us would be to come to a point of looking at that and saying all of a sudden and have being overcome by compassion and love for those maggots. And said all of a sudden, I have, I have to save them. Because if I don't, they're all going to perish. Every single one of them. And then to take it up a notch to say, you know what? The only way I can do that is to become one of them. And to get into that pile of garbage, knowing that most of them are going to turn on me and kill me. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this. And by the way, I'm not calling you maggot. But the condescending step that you and I would take to become one of those maggots is nothing compared to the condescending step Jesus took off of his throne to come down and become one of us. We have no idea what that is. Because again, that is how much, it, it, it's indescribably greater his feeling towards sin than our feeling towards that pile of garbage. Yet he was willing to do it. He chose to do that. Notice in our text that we have here, I noted, I noted it says, but we do not have yet see things subject to him. Notice verse nine starts with the same word, but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels. Verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That is exactly what those verses are telling us. He looked at our situation. He looked into this pile of garbage that we've just gotten used to, just like all of the maggots. We've gotten used to that. And he said, the only way for me is to become one of them. That word that says they share in flesh and blood, that word koinonia means we share that. We're together in that. But that word that says partook means that he, it's something that takes on the form of something else. He became something that he wasn't in order to become one of us. Taking on flesh becoming one of us. And why? Notice it says, he partook of the same that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He did it to destroy the power of death. How did he do it? Verse 9 tells us, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He took our death. He came to die. To take our place. To pay the debt that only we owe. We can't push this off on anybody else. We can't bribe our way out of this. It's a debt that we owe but he chose to pay. 
We no longer, if you've given your life to Jesus and trusted in him, you no longer owe that debt because it's paid in full. He said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. And the fact that that tomb is empty means that God, the father, accepted that, accepted that payment on our behalf. Notice, it tells us here that that no longer should we fear death. No longer does the enemy have power over us. He experienced death for everyone in order to destroy the fear of death and destroy the power of the devil. Guys, we no longer have to fear death. It's been defeated. Guys, what death did to Jesus is nothing compared to what Jesus did to death. He destroyed it. He destroyed its power over us. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He who, everyone who lives and believes in me, he said, will never die. Being a born again believer means that there will be, unless the rapture comes soon, (laughs) there will be a moment when each one of us will stop using this temporary earth suit. But it's not the end of our life. We have eternal life. The last breath we take here is the next one is in his presence in heaven. No longer fearing death because we know what's on the other side. We know what awaits us. We know it is promised to us. Paul writes, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable. Notice not if, when. When this perishable will have put on imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul, Paul would be the one who would say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's promotion time. Guys, he did this. Notice it says, by the grace of God. He didn't owe us anything except wrath. He chose to do this. This is a gift given by the grace of God, tasting death for us, experiencing it for us, taking our death upon himself. Notice also too, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not limited to that. The author of Hebrews expands on this. What, what more is ours? Notice verse 10, it says, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. The creator of the universe. Colossians tells us again of Jesus. Everything was created by him and for him. He's the one who holds it all together. Jesus, almighty God. Telling us here to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Became the captain of our salvation. That word author is an interesting one. It doesn't just mean like we think of it as somebody to write something out. It, it really, it means, more, it means more like the originator, the one who began something and the one who goes before. 
the, it's used to refer to as a captain in an army, not, not somebody that's in back bark and orders, but one that is out in front, forging the way, leading the way. It says to perfect the author. Not, and by that, not meaning that Jesus wasn't perfect prior to. That's not speaking to that. It's not speaking of anything morally. As a matter of fact, his perfectness being perfect, being absolutely sinless was the qualifier for him to suffer and die in our place. But his obedience, even to the point of death, death on a cross, is what completed that salvation for us. But it goes even beyond that again, because he is the one who goes before us. He is the one, when he came and lived this perfect sinless life on our behalf, it wasn't stuck away somewhere in, in an ivory palace. He came humble. He came poor. He experienced everything that you and I will experience. He, he suffered heartbreak. He suffered betrayal. He felt pain of loss. He went through everything that you and I will experience. So that he's not just some distant God who can't relate to us. No, he's one who can understand everything. Verse 18 tells us, For since he himself was tempted, tested, tried, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Those who are going through temptation, trials, difficulties, he can come to our aid. The author of Hebrews will go on to say in Hebrews chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I said, this is an amazing promise. He came becoming one of us, partaking the same, so that we have one now as we are going through the difficulties and trials in our life. We can go to him at any time. We don't have to take a number. We don't have to wait in line. We don't have to make an appointment with someone to talk to them so they can talk to God. No, we can go directly to the throne of grace anytime we have a need. And he is waiting to hear from us. His desire is to hear our prayer, to come to him in our time of need. He promised he will never leave us, never forsake. He promised all you, everyone who is weary and heavy laden, come, bring it to me and I'll give you rest. That is his promise. And he can understand again and sympathize with us because of what he did. Because he came into this mess for us. Also, if that weren't enough, verse 17. Notice, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. First of all, it says that he had to to be made like his brethren in all things. That does not mean he was under any type of duty or obligation to do it. It fits together with what we previously saw, where it said it was fitting for him back in verse 10. That speaks of his nature. That speaks of who he is. 
He is almighty. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just, but he is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. He is loving. All of those things make up his nature. And it was fitting for him because of that. And because in order to, it says he had to be made like his brethren, in order to, notice, make propitiations for the sins of the people. Now, if you were here on Friday night, I discussed this, what this word, propitiation, it's this big word. If you use it in Scrabble, I think you get a whole lot of points. The problem is very few people know the extent of what the word means. This isn't a $50,000 word. This is a priceless word, propitiation. The way I can illustrate it for you is let's, let's, we don't have to stretch our imagination too far. Let's, let's assume that a man on the job site, he's working, and there's an accident that takes place on the job site, and it leaves him paralyzed for the rest of his life. And then as the investigation goes through, the employer is found to be completely negligent. Working conditions were unsafe. He was not trained. All of these types of things. So we can only imagine. This goes to court. There's a huge verdict in, in, in his favor. The company owes $100 million to him. When they pay that $100 million, their debt has been satisfied. They no longer owe a debt. But what they are unable to do with that $100 million is to take care of the anger and wrath that this man has towards the company. That's what propitiation does. See, Jesus on the cross, suffering and dying in our place, shedding his blood for us, paid our debt. But when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying to the Father and he said, Father, if there is any way possible that this cup pass from me, you, but your will be done. He went on to say, if there's no other way, then your will be done. I will drink it. The Bible is clear that the cup that, that Jesus is referring to there is not the cross. It is the wrath of God. Several times the cup is referred to in the Old Testament as the wrath of God that will be required to be drank completely. And Jesus took it and drank it all. Not only paying our debt, but guys, taking the wrath of God away from us and taking it on himself. Paul speaks of this when he said that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I heard it explained this way one time and it just, it, it, it is, was such a blessing to me. I share it again with you. On that day, on that day, when Jesus hung on the cross, and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as, as the father for the first time in all of eternity turned his back on the son and poured out the wrath of the sin to, for, for our sin upon him? On that day, the father treated him as though he led our sin-filled, rebellious, self-centered lives so that on this day, the Father treats us as though we lived his perfect, sinless life. That's propitiation. Amen. That's propitiation. And you know what that opens the door up to? 
It tells, John, John writes it this way. He puts it in 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and so we are. Children of God. We are brought into the family through this. He became one of us so he could usher many of us to glory as his brothers and sisters. And note, it tells us he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Wow. Not ashamed. I heard a, a story this week of twin brothers. They're much older at the time now. One of them recalling the story of when they were younger and they were foster kids when they were growing up. They were able to stay together growing through this, but many families, they had to jump through the system growing up. And one particular family that they were with for a couple of years, he recalls the fact that it was a rather large family, but they were the only two foster kids. And they had a small table in the corner of the kitchen where they ate while the whole family ate, the rest of the family ate in the dining room. Every meal, every day. When they would have huge gatherings, family, friends coming over, they would be in their room separated. They had this, he said that their, the backyard had this huge backyard with the swimming pool, and they always had these parties, but they were never, he said the entire two years they lived with them, not once was he allowed to even put his toe in that pool. Guys, that's not like for us. I don't know about you, but I'd be happy with just a little corner table in the kitchen in heaven. But that's not what it is. We're at the banquet table. Not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Again, because now when the father looks at us, he doesn't see us as we, as we he sees us clothed in his righteousness. Guys, all of this. All of this, again, by the grace of God. None of us deserve any of this. But this is all that is ours. Because he came, because he lived a perfect life, because he died, and because he rose again. Our debt is paid. The wrath is satisfied. We no longer fear death. The enemy, sin, no longer has power over us. We're children of God. Let that settle in a little bit deeper today. You're here. I want to talk to those right now, though, that are here that have never taken that step to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never given him your life. And I'm speaking about a total surrender of your life to him. I'm not talking about you going to church your whole life. I'm not talking to you about believing this from your mind. I'm talking to you about ever giving your heart truly to the Lord Jesus. And you know I'm talking to you directly right now because the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart. I know he is because I've been praying for that. (laughs) You can know today that your debt is completely paid. You can know today that you will never face the wrath of God. You can today stop fearing death 
you can, for the first time in your life, have victory over sin. You can today become a child of God. But it requires that you humble yourself. It requires that you confess. The Bible says, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession means saying the same thing as. It means coming for the first time in your life to that point where you say, God, I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you about what is sin. I fully agree with you about the fact that I have, I have sinned against you. And I fully agree with you that I deserve nothing but your wrath. But I believe that Jesus took my place. I believe that he paid my debt. And right now I make a decision to make him captain, him Lord. You need to do that today. So I want to invite, if that is you, whether you're here in this room or if you're at any of the video venues watching, we have people in every one of those rooms that would like to pray with you. We'll have some up front here. We'll have some up front in any of the video venues where you might be. I'd like to, in a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to pray, and we're going to sing one last song together. And I want to invite you to come forward. I want you to come up and allow us to pray with you. We have some information we'd like to give you. And you might be saying, there is no way I am going to, what are people going to think? Well, first of all, who cares? Because this is between you and the Lord. But secondly, I'm telling you, there, there better not be anybody in this room who passes any type of judgment on anybody coming forward. Because if you do, you need to follow them up here. But secondly, <laughs> we're going to be rejoicing with the angels in heaven. Because guys, that's what today is all about. Your debt has been paid, but you have to receive it. The gift is waiting for you, but you have to take it. I want to open up the invitation as well to those who maybe you've, you've made that, that commitment before. Maybe you have done that before, but you've walked away, and you know I'm talking to you too, to make today be the day that you come home. The Father's waiting with his arms open. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus today, I want to invite you to come up too. Guys, that's what this is all about. Again, the debt's been paid. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we stand in awe again at this moment. And Holy Spirit, would you do a work right now in this place? For all of us who call you Lord Jesus, would you settle this amazing truth deeper within us today? Let us understand even just a little, bit, a little bit more about what this all means and why you did what you did. Again, be just blown away by your goodness as we worship you together. But if, if that is you, Holy Spirit moving on your heart, I would ask you to respond and come forward here in a moment. If you don't, if you're you're worried about that, you don't think you can do it alone, ask the person next to you to come up with you. They will, whether you know them or not. 
Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move in this very special moment right now. As we worship you, thank you for who you are and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.